You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamualaikum. I'd like to welcome uh, you all, dear brothers, sisters, respected guests. My name is uh, Amjad Bashir. Uh, I'm going to be your host for today's uh, uh, proceedings. Uh, I'm a local community activist involved in a number of uh, local Muslim organizations, one of which is uh, iSyllabus. I'm a director of iSyllabus. And alhamdulillah, I'm uh, blessed to be a student of knowledge. Uh, just finished my uh, fifth year Islamic studies with iSyllabus. Um, so, Islamic finance has been a, a passion of mine for many years, but I know that before I started to learn about Islam, there were many questions about Islamic finance. And there are many of us out there that really don't know enough about Islamic finance. And that's the whole point of today. Today has uh, been brought to you by the Islamic Finance Council UK uh, with the support of Al Riyan Bank, National Zakat Foundation and Islamic Relief. And it's really a day to uh, shed some light and uh, uh, increase some awareness about a very important topic that's to do with Islamic finance, whether it's mortgages, whether it's um, zakat, whether it's about sadqa, charity. These are all questions that I know that myself as a, a student of knowledge and my teacher, Sheikh Amr uh, Jamil and Sheikh Ridwan Muhammad, they constantly get questions like this. And one of the reasons why they get these questions is because there's not enough information out there. And today, uh, mashallah, uh, Islamic Finance, as I said, uh, the Islamic Finance Council have brought together some very learned speakers on the, the subject. Uh, and there's going to be a, a couple of areas that they're going to focus on today. Number one is the understanding of Islamic mortgages. What does it mean to have a, a Sharia compliant mortgage? How does that different, differentiate itself from a, a, a conventional mortgage? What is the whole concept of a, 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 a halal mortgage? We're also going to be looking at uh, uh, how to calculate zakat. Mashallah, we've got people from uh, the National Zakat Foundation here. So they're going to talk about zakat, how to work out zakat, what kind of, where zakat can be given. And finally, we're going to look at the Islamic charitable giving. And we've got, mashallah, Islamic uh, relief here with us. So firstly, and I'm just going to go through quickly the running order for today. We have started a bit late. Um, it wouldn't be a Muslim event if we didn't start late. So that's in keeping with traditions. Uh, the first speaker I'm going to introduce is uh, Omar Sheikh, who's uh, uh, part of the Islamic Finance Council. He's a board member. He's an accountant by trade, uh, a real expert in finance. He's also the former head of Islamic Finance for Ernst & Young in London. Shortly after Omar, we're going to have a, a discussion call or a, a talk called Islamic Banking, How Mortgages Work. And that's going to be given by uh, Dr. Samir uh, Alamad, who is the head of the Sharia Compliance with Al Riyan Bank. After that, uh, we're going to talk about how to increase your money through Barakah. And we've got Molna Zubair, who gave the recitation, the beautiful recitation early on. And then we're going to try and break for uh, Zohar Namaz at 1 o'clock. I know that we're running a bit late. Um, and after the Namaz, we're going to have a, a section called Understanding Zakat. What is the underlying philosophy of zakat? And that's going to be given by Iqbal Nasim, 
who is the uh, CEO of National Zakat Foundation. Uh, and about quarter past two, uh, we're going to have a, a, another uh, talk, and that's going to be by Murshad Alam, who's from Islamic Relief, and that's going to be called Sadaqah versus Waqf. I know many of us have questions about uh, um, what constitutes Sadaqah, what is a Waqf. So this is a great opportunity to, to learn about that. And finally, uh, Molina Zubair will talk about Islam and materialism, uh, keeping up with the Joneses in the halal way. And inshallah, what we're going to finally do is uh, finish it up with a Q&A. Each section is going to be about roughly about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so you can ask questions at the end um, and do note down uh, your questions. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Omar Sheikh from uh, Islamic Finance Council. Jazakallah. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Amjad. Jazakallah khair. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Very briefly, very quickly, I'm conscious we're already running behind, so I'm not going to take too much time. Uh, just first of all, I wanted to say thank you to, um, to our gracious hosts today, to Masjid Furqan, for putting together these facilities for us to use. So thank you to them. Thank you to all of you. 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Wow, I'm impressed. You must have serious financial problems to be here, right? <laughs> Anything we say today is not construed as selling or advising on a financial product as well, so there's our caveats. But in all seriousness, um, today is a, is a great opportunity for all of you. It's designed to be interactive, so we really encourage all of you to ask as many questions as you can. We've got the best experts uh, in the country with us here to discuss the topic, so please, please do use the opportunity. Um, the way we've structured the day, as Amjad has described, is to cover also the, not just the financial products uh, and the challenges we have in them, but also the philosophy and some of the principles which go underlying it. The ban that we have on riba in Islam is shared by the other Abrahamic faiths, but we cannot understand Islamic mortgages, Islamic products without understanding what is wealth, what is the purpose of the money that we have. If you think it's just all an economic equation or that you put in mass, you put in Excel sheet, then you've lost out massively. There's something called barakah, and we know in our deen that if you earn a penny or a dollar which has barakah, it can be worth a lot more than hundreds of millions without that barakah. So that's something we want to touch on later today. Uh, so just in conclusion, thank you once again to all of you. Thank you to Anjan, thank you to all our partners who supported, to Adil Ibrahim and Hilal at the back. Um, for those of you uh, who don't know the UKIC, we're, we're a small not-for-profit body. Um, most of our work is international. We work locally within the UK to help promote the ethical and Islamic finance sectors. Uh, really, we're blessed because Omar uh, is a very modest guy, but he's a real expert in finance and he travels the world uh, talking about Islamic finance. So, uh, mashallah, you know, we try and pick his brains as much as you can. Uh, our next section is Islamic bank banking how mortgages work. Uh, and I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Samir Almat, uh, and he's the head of Sharia Compliance with Al Riyan Bank. And uh, as well as uh, uh, Dr. Samir, we also have Omar Kichlu, who is the local Glasgow uh, business manager. So I'd like to invite uh, Omar to the front, and uh, I'm going to uh, ask uh, Dr. Samir to tell us a little bit more about uh, Islamic banking and particularly around mortgages. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أجزاكم الله خير and thank you very much for uh, coming today uh, it's my pleasure to be here with you uh, I'm not here to sell anything 
<laughs> yes, coming from a Riyadh bank, but in my capacity as an independent uh, advisor to the bank, if you if you want to, to ask about any product, so Omar is here, he will be happy to answer your questions. So I'll be talking about Islamic finance, Islamic banking, from the Islamic principles, the Islamic philosophy, and how it works. Uh, I'll try not to talk a lot. Uh, to give you the time, inshallah, to, to ask any questions you have. We'll talk briefly about introduction to Islamic finance. Many people think uh, Islamic finance is Islamic banking, but Islamic finance is much wider than Islamic banking, as we will see. Uh, in terms of Sharia-compliant investment and governance, key differences between Islamic and conventional banking, including uh, home finance. First of all, I would like to start with uh, Islam, where Islamic finance or where fiqh al-mu'amalat sits within the framework and the code of conduct of Islam and Sharia. As we see, there are that the aspect in Islam, aqidah, that is very important for each Muslim, that we, we believe in the principles and the key principles of aqidah. And we have akhlaq, moralities and ethics that underpin our practices and our conduct. Then we have Sharia. And from Sharia, we have fiqh al-ibadat, how we pray, how we fast, how we, we pay zakat, etc. And we have fiqh al-mu'amalat. Fiqh al-mu'amalat is the relationship that governs the, uh, the practices between man to man. The way we deal with each other, the way we sell, the way we buy, the way we conduct our financial transactions, and this is very uh, big area uh, for us to understand. Unfortunately, we don't usually give due attention and consideration to this area. We know how to pray, we know how to pay uh, our zakah, we know that we have to pay two and a half percent of our zakah, but uh, we don't have enough knowledge about how to conduct our finances in an Islamic way. Umar radiallahu anhu said, uh, he saw someone in the market in Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara, wasn't conducting basically, he was trading but not doing things in the right way. So he asked his, his companions, Umar radiallahu anhu said, tell the man if he doesn't know the rules of our market, ask him to get out of the market. Why? Because it's very important that we know these rules. We would otherwise we'd be on the verge of dealing with interest, uh, and it's not only interest. Usually we say, what's the difference between conventional and Islamic finance? So the key thing is interest. That's correct. But there are many other things. Uncertainty. The way we conduct each, uh, each transaction, the requirements for each transaction, whether it's sale transaction, ijara transaction, musharaka, mudaraba, each one, there are prescribed elements in Sharia that has to be fulfilled. So it's not always interest, although it's the key thing, interest gambling, as, as we'll see. So from fiqh al-mu'amalat, we have the, the economic activities, uh, we have banking and finance, where the Islamic finance, and other economic activities. We have the inheritance. It's part of the, how you calculate and how you divide the estate of the deceased. And other, uh, other things, financial things related to, to marriage and divorce and spending, <coughs> etc. So it is a complete framework that we should do our best to understand. In this slide, 
the, we, we talk a, a lot about the Sharia objectives. And I've been in many conferences and I've talked in many conferences. People talk about Sharia objective, but no one explains how they are incorporated in Islamic finance. You know, say Sharia objective, Sharia objective, but what it is Sharia? What Sharia objectives are? And how they are incorporated in our life and in, in, uh, in Islamic finance and Islamic financial institutions. I divided those objectives into three levels. The first one, the higher Sharia objectives. That underpins the Islamic philosophy and the Islamic economics, where economic efficiency is part of the Sharia objective that the way we undertake and conduct our financial transactions in the Islamic economy is to be efficient, to conduct it in the best possible way, not to waste our economic resources. Moderation, i'tidal, as uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا So a middle way nation, that's the i'tidal. So we, are not, we don't take either extreme, we are a middle way nation. So this is one of the higher Sharia objective that we should incorporate in everything we do, including Islamic, uh, including uh, Islamic finance and Islamic banking. Uh, one of the things that uh, went against this uh, this uh, Sharia objective is caused the financial crisis of 2008, because people got greedy. greedy. Financial conventional financial institutions got greedy. They wanted more. So they started to take the other extreme in order to maximize their profit. And that's against the principle of Atidal that we have to, to follow in our practices as, as Muslims. Then the next uh, one is social justice. We take consideration of our acts and actions on the society. So it's not my freedom and I don't care about the rest. You know, my freedom as an individual stops when it starts affecting the society or the, uh, uh, the common good of the society, al-maslaha sharia here in fiqh. So that's, that's very important, not because I am a bank, I can do whatever. No, I should take into consideration all stakeholders, that includes customers, shareholders of the bank, uh, employees of the banks, management of the banks, and the wider society and the impact that this financial institution would have on the society itself. Fair distribution of wealth <coughs> is also very important and the zakah is one of the key institutions for the fair distribution of wealth. And Allah explained that in the Quran, So the circulation of wealth is not concentrated in one small group, the wealthy who control everything, who lend and uh, basically people who are need on interest and charge them interest. So the wealth should be circulated accordingly. Then we, if we go to the next level of uh, the Sharia objectives, we identify the five key uh, Sharia objectives that Imam al-Ghazali and Imam al-Shatabi uh, mentioned that Sharia exists to protect religion, which is basically something that we should we, we have to protect in everything we do in our finances. When we deal with Islamic finance, we ensure that we avoid uh, interest-based uh, dealing or banking or other financial transactions or non-Sharia compliant financial transactions. That 
we are protecting our religion. And with that regard, we are living our life in a Sharia compliant way, in the way that Allah uh, instructs us to conduct ourselves and live our life and conduct our financial affairs. Protecting intellect, this is all connected because the way you spend will, will, uh, will have an effect on, on your life, on your intellect, the money you spend to basically to educate your children, the way you, if they see you dealing with basically with Islamic finance, you are very focused on your religion and how you conduct your financial affairs, you are an example to them. So they will follow that example. You are teaching them, even if you are not intending that, but they see you and they take from you what, what you are doing. And this is uh, unintended consequences, inshallah, will be rewarded for it because your children will grow up on, on these principles and these spaces. And, and this is the, basically the, the fourth uh, Sharia objective, that Sharia is there to protect progeny. When you raise your children on these principles, so you are protecting them, you are shielding them with the shield of Islam and of Sharia and its teaching. And this is very important. There is a, a famous hadith that the Prophet وسلم, said, uh, one of you could come and he's basically rough looking, uh, his hair looking and turning and uh, praying to Allah, asking Allah, oh Allah, help me or provide me. And uh, his, his source of, of provisions is haram. The way he, he basically he drinks and feeds himself and his family is haram. The way he earns uh, his money and source of income is haram. So the Prophet said, فَأَنَّا How come or how Allah will, will answer his dua? So that's why it's very important to look into those principles, protecting religion, life, intellect, progeny, because it's all uh, go together, and wealth. Protecting wealth by investing it in accordance with how Allah instructed us to invest and conduct our businesses in a Sharia compliant way. So you grow your wealth uh, with that respect and you pay the zakat due on your investment and your return and profit. Going to the third level of Sharia objectives then, we go to more details about Sharia objectives. There are Sharia objectives in each Islamic finance principle that is used in Islamic financial institutions, banks or, or, or non-banks, you know, zakat institution, waqf institution, etc. Each one, it has its own principles and its own objectives to be, to be met to deliver the required outcome under Sharia. Unfortunately, you might see that's not always the case. Not all the Sharia objectives are being met because of certain challenges, because of the economic framework that we work uh, within, but we should do our best to fulfill those Sharia objectives. There are objectives for the, the sale contract, that the, uh, the subject matter of the sale has to exist. So short selling, where there's no commodity, no asset to be, to be sold, uh, that's not, uh, not allowed in Sharia. So the subject matter should be there, the price should be known and agreed between the parties. The parties are eligible to, to undertake uh, this uh, contract, etc. 
So what's the objective of, of, the, of the sale? Uh, the Sharia objective of the sale is to, to fulfill uh, people demand for commodities, exchange, exchange between a currency and a commodity, <coughs> which will fulfill the demand of each party to the sale contract. And this will deliver the economic cycle where there is the, the supply chain and people involved in that process and they get their, uh, their income from this sort of economic cycle. Uh, I will not expand more uh, just uh, because of time on, uh, on this because each uh, uh, Islamic finance principle, uh, whether sale agreement or, or other principles, has its own objectives, uh, its own Sharia objectives and requirements. So how we, how we then address any new challenges in Islamic finance and Islamic banking in accordance with, with Sharia objectives? It is in the same way we address any new issue uh, that face, uh, faces us as Muslims whether in, in, uh, in our fiqh uh, al-mu'amalat related to, to our deen or our fiqh uh, al-ibadat. Uh, the first recourse is to the Qur'an. And you, the Qur'an set the, the broad lines of, of Sharia. But the Qur'an doesn't address everything in details. That's why the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, explained a lot of uh, those broad Sharia guidelines in, in the Quran. The Quran basically instructs us to pray. But there is nothing in the Quran that says how many rakat each, uh, each prayer. So the Sunnah and the Prophet وسلم, taught us how to do that. And uh, similarly with, with many other aspects. However, due to the, as we know, uh, Al-Hassan al-Basri said, Islam is applicable in every time and every place. And this is one of the key uh, uh, features of our religion that uh, it keeps going, it addresses new issues that we face. So there is ijma, which is the consensus of the qualified scholars. If we are faced with uh, an issue, they will discuss this issue and come up with a, a solution or a sharia view regarding this issue, then this ijma or this outcome would be uh, mandatory for us to follow uh, regarding this issue. However, ijma doesn't mean that they, they should, all of them 100% agree on that, but the majority. And this should have recourse to a, a dalil. Uh, similarly, another, another instrument in ijtihad is qiyas where we measure the, uh, the cause or the rationale for certain prohibition in the Quran and Sunnah and apply it to a new issue. For example, say, okay, we have now different kind of, of drugs, not, not good drugs, bad drugs, cocaine, heroin, this sort of things. There is nothing in, in the Sharia addresses this. Or, you know, we know Sharia prohibits alcohol because Scholars said, especially Imam Abu Hanifa, the intoxication is the illah, is the cause for prohibiting alcohol here. Some uh, other schools of fiqh, like Shafi'i and Hanafi and Maliki, they, they basically concluded with different opinion. 
but most of them agreed that it is the key thing is the, the intoxication and the prohibition in the Quran, the clear prohibition regardless because Allah said there are benefits in alcohol. You know, you sell it, you make profit, but there are harms as well. And the harm in, the, in, in alcohol is much greater than the benefits. So scholars applied the same rationale, which is the intoxication on using or taking drugs nowadays, which there is no a clear ruling in Sharia about it because people who take drugs, they get high and it's the same, the same effect. That's why it's haram as well. And this is just an example how the, the qiyas, the analogical reasoning is applied in our Sharia on all aspects. Ijtihad is the, the individual scholarly ijtihad and usually it's done in Islamic financial institutions uh, in, in a group or there are certain bodies that makes Sharia standards and ijtihad is, uh, to Islamic financial institutions. There is a Sharia supervisory committee or Sharia advisor internally for, for each Islamic financial institution to help them implement Sharia rulings within their daily operation. And that's ijtihad. So if they did their best and they got it right, the, the Prophet said they would be rewarded twice as the reward. If they did their best and they basically they didn't get it right, so they will be rewarded once. But an ijtihad doesn't nullify another ijtihad. So then when we talk about Islamic finance, what does that include? Islamic finance include Islamic banking, include takaful. Uh, institutions, which is uh, it provide Islamic insurance. It includes zakat and waqf, and now zakat and waqf. They are basically there. There is a lot going on about zakat and waqf and the administration of zakat, the administration of waqf, especially with uh, countries where uh, basically the whole system is uh, based on 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 Islamic principles, like Sudan. So they have. Uh, the zakat institution which is collected centrally, similarly in Malaysia, uh, to some extent where the government uh, collects zakat and distributes zakat, which is more efficient way in terms of deploying the zakat collection where it is needed most uh, in the country. So there, there's a lot of, of rules uh, about how uh, zakat and waqf institutions and the proceeds from them are administered and distributed. And the other aspect, the Islamic funds, assets management, sukuk, capital market, all that is part of Islamic finance as well. So it's not when we say Islamic finance, it's not only Islamic banking. Islamic banking is just one part of, uh, of Islamic finance. Now, talking specifically about Islamic finance, so we have in Sharia and Fiqh al-Mu'amala various Islamic finance principles that we use. So in traditional finance, they have only one contract or one agreement, which is you know, the loan agreement, lending agreement. But we have around 12 contracts in Fiqh al-Mu'amala that we could use according to uh, the nature of the business or the financial transaction that uh, we are going to, uh, to conduct or undertake. 
I divided those into four categories. The first one, equity-based contracts. This includes Musharaka and its various types and, and variations of Musharaka, like uh, diminishing Musharaka, which is used for home finance. Mudaraba is a profit-sharing agreement, and this is used usually in investment and very rarely in, in asset financing or in financing because of uh, some, some of the risk implications. Financial institutions tend not to use it uh, in assets, but mostly used in investment and providing savings accounts uh, uh, in Islamic banks. Similarly, Wakala is used also for investments and for providing savings accounts. Uh, the difference between Wakala and Mudaraba, Mudaraba is a profit-sharing agreement. So the, the parties has to agree at the outset a profit-sharing ratio, 50-50, 60-40, between the, the bank and the customer in terms of how profit would be distributed. Wakala works on the basis of an expected rate of return that the wakil, the investment manager, would work to achieve uh, for the wakil for a fee that the wakil takes. Uh, other equities-based contracts which they are not that common in Islamic finance, Mugharasa, Musaqa, and Muzara. Maybe you hear these uh, principles for the first time. Uh, it is mainly labor and materials profit-sharing agreements, and they are specifically for agriculture used. So it's similar to Mudaraba, however, it would be based on someone providing labor, someone providing land. <coughs> For the land to be basically harvested, cultivated, etc., and the profit, or uh, after selling the produce of the land, then there is profit sharing, or watering the land at that time, and this could be used for maybe in uh, uh, in agricultural societies. The second type of Islamic finance principle is the sale-based contracts, and here we have murabha, which is a credit sale agreement. And we have istisna manufacturing agreement, and it is a type of sale in the Hanafi school of fiqh. Uh, and uh, other schools of fiqh also, they consider it the same, because you, uh, you ask a manufacturer to manufacture something for you, and after it's manufactured, it becomes basically, you will pay the price for manufacturing that, uh, uh, that asset or that item, so it is a type of sale agreement. Similarly, with salam contract, salam is usually is uh, resembles forward sale, where uh, the buyer pay the price for a future delivery of uh, uh, of the goods. And again, it's uh, the key sector it's used is uh, in is agriculture where farmers usually they need the cash, they need the money up front in order to, uh, uh, to cultivate their, their lands, their farms and harvest it. Then when they sell their, uh, their produce or when the produce uh, become ripe to, uh, to be uh, sold, they will distribute that to the buyer. So you buy, let's say, uh, this, um, uh, this farm of wheat, but the wheat doesn't exist. So that's the key thing in Sharia. Uh, the subject matter of the sale here doesn't exist at the time of sale. And that's limited in, uh, by a, a limited period. 
but the farmer needs the money in order to to get working uh, on his field. So that's why the buyer will give the money, and usually it will be on a discounted rate because uh, because of the uh, the crops doesn't exist at that time for a delivery in a future date when the crops is is there and ready to be delivered. And this is a way of basically at uh, Islam considering helping farmers uh, and the agri agricultural sectors where it's a way of providing finance to them, to them basically. And Ijara is also a type of sale because it's the sale of the use fraud, the occupancy of a property. So you, you sell the benefit of occupying a property. And Ijara and Diminishing Musharaka, both of them are used to provide Islamic finance. Uh, there is a, also a structure based on pure Ijara uh, to provide uh, home finance as well, <coughs> where the bank will lease the property and will sell it uh, at the end of the finance term to the customer. Uh, Murabaha is a third structure as well for home finance where the bank will buy the property and sell it on a credit uh, to the customer over the finance term. The third type of Islamic finance principles is debt-based contracts. Qard, and when we say loan, in, in Sharia means loan without any benefit, interest-free loan, not only monetary benefit, any type of benefit. If a gift generated over the loan, so that's interest. Amana is a trust when you give someone money as an amana, a trust to, to keep it for you. Similarly, wadiya, self-keeping. And by the way, most of the sales-based contracts, at the time of concluding the sale, they turn to a debt. And they would be subject to the, uh, to the Sharia rules around dealing with, with debts. The fourth one is the charitable contracts. And that includes the careful cooperative financial uh, contributions and uh, there could be various uh, variations of the careful and wealth as contracts. So this is basically the, the main four categories of Islamic finance that uh, I divided <coughs> into. So just to give you an overview of the various contracts available in, in Islamic finance. Now moving uh, a little bit about Sharia governance in, in Islamic finance. So we talked about Sharia objectives, the Islamic finance principles. Can you trust bankers with it to apply it in banks? Can they do that? No. So how we could ensure that this is done or this is enforced? That's why Islamic banks, they have different governance structure from conventional banks. As you see, this is the, the, the typical uh, traditional bank. So this is the, uh, the high-level structure of the bank. The additional layer of governance in Islamic banks is represented in the Sharia Supervisory Committee and the Internal Sharia Compliance Department, who basically ensure that Islamic finance principles and the Sharia requirements are embedded in everything the bank, uh, the bank do. And they monitor the implementation of that. They undertake 
regular Sharia compliance audit reviews to ensure that everything uh, is done in the right way. And as you see, the Sharia Supervisor Committees uh, and the internal Sharia advisor, who should be also on the same level in terms of knowledge and expertise in fiqh, al-mu'amalat, and Sharia, uh, as well as in financial transactions and finance, you don't find that basically uh, 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 with every Sharia scholar. But this is the, the ideal situation in order to, to be able to assess the impact of any uh, financial transactions or any dealing. So they are independent. They are not a board committee and they don't report to the board or any executive committee in the bank to ensure their credibility and independence. Uh, and if the board wants something or the, the senior management, they want something that is not compliant with Sharia, so we can veto that and say, no, you can't do that. Uh, remember once the, you know, in traditional mortgages, if you want to redeem the finance early, the bank will charge you 2% or 3% uh, as a penalty because you want to, to, to pay the debt early. Uh, from the, uh, the outstanding loan amount. The CEO of the bank said, uh, we want to do this because the bank is losing. So then you can't do that because the contract is based on diminishing musharaka, which is you know, a, diminish, a diminishing partnership between the bank and the customer and ijara. So you cannot penalize the customer who's partner in the property if they want to buy the bank's share in the property early. But the bank is making loss. See, you know, traditional banks, uh, they, they are doing this and, you know, they are charging 3% and 4% of the outstanding loan amount. I said, no, we can't do that as a bank. And that was it, basically. They have to accept that. Otherwise, this will, will go public, that the bank wasn't compliant on, uh, on this aspect. So this is basically give... The, the credibility and independence of the Sharia advisors of Islamic financial institutions. Uh, and we hope that's the case in all Islamic financial institutions. <laughs> okay, so talking now more in details about home finance or home purchase plans offered by, by Islamic banks. I'll be talking here about one structure, which is one of the <coughs> common structures, is the diminishing musharaka and ijara structure, lease. So in this case, the customer will, will find or select the property in the usual way. And they will apply to the bank for finance. They will agree the price with the seller of the property. Let's say the customer contribution will start with 20% and the bank will provide finance of 80%. Uh, assuming the property value for simplicity is 100,000, both of them will buy the property together uh, from the seller according to their uh, respective uh, equities in the property. After acquiring the property, the bank will lease immediately its share to the customer. So the customer will make uh, rental payments for the bank's share, for occupying the bank's share in the property. And the bank at the same time will allow the customer to buy its share in the property over the finance term. The customer will be making the usual monthly payment 
However, this monthly payments will be split into two. The amount that the customer is making to buy the bank's share in the property over time and the rental payment that the customer is making uh, for using the bank's share in the property. As you see, uh, the lines here in, in this diagram, over time, with the customer's making acquisition payment to buy the bank's share in the property, the customer's share is increasing and the bank's share is decreasing. And that will affect also the rental payment. You know, when you are uh, renting a full house, it's different when you have 50% share in that house or 40% uh, share in that house, or etc. So over the time, the bank's share uh, will diminish in the property, and this is the, the, the diminishing aspect in the diminishing musharaka in this transaction, until the customer buys the full share of the bank in the property. So the, the customer will own the property outright. Uh, in terms of, of, uh, of basically the bank, the customer can make any lump sum payment, what is called additional acquisition payments at any time. They can uh, settle the finance early at, at, at any time without being penalized for, for doing that. And this is basically a, a, a requirement from Sharia perspective. Uh, I think I'll just move quickly regarding uh, Islamic investment, Islamic asset management and uh, how this is done. Re there are uh, industry screening, financial screening from a Sharia perspective uh, that, that we do, avoiding the main, in, uh, the industry screening, avoiding the main uh, issues. However, that's not uh, an exhaustive list. This is are just the most common ones. There are other, other things to be looked at. Uh, and in the financial screening, there are various issues to, issues to be considered in that screening. And it's very important to, to observe that in any investment in the financial <coughs> market, stocks and shares and uh, uh, sukuk, etc. And this is in reference to what I mentioned in terms of how Wakala uh, investment agreement and Mudaraba profit sharing agreement uh, works. Uh, from uh, an Islamic finance perspective, where you see uh, there's investors who have the money, but they don't have the expertise to invest. So they come to those who have the expertise to invest, who will provide labor, take the money invested in the market, in a various Sharia-compliant investments, in order to generate profit and generate return, which then would be shared with the capital provider or the investor. However, as I mentioned, there are various uh, requirements that has to be to be met uh, in that transaction. And just summarizing the key aspects in terms of the differences uh, between Islamic banking and conventional banking. Uh, ignoring this slide for, for a minute, I would summarize it in four key factors which I explained pretty much uh, in the previous slides. The first one is the governance, the Sharia governance, which provide uh, the, the extra layer of governance that ensure everything is done uh, in the financial institution or the Islamic bank is in compliance with Sharia. The second one is the uh, assets 
any financial products provided by, by the banks or Islamic financial institution has to be uh, asset-backed. And this is the key difference between loans agreement, traditional loans agreement, and products offered by, by Islamic banks. So while you, you would see maybe the same outcome, you know, you are getting a finance for a house, it's the same outcome, but it is not. Actually, there, there is a lot uh, of work going on in the background to ensure that's uh, in, uh, basically in compliance with Sharia. There is an asset being uh, bought and sold on, or equity sharing in that, in that asset. There is a lease agreement, etc. It is not enough. The, the third one is the operational aspect. So it's not enough just to ensure that the products are compliant with Sharia and there is an asset. How, how could we ensure that there's an actual asset? It's not something the bank you know just doing on papers. So that's why there's the governance that ensures and checks this. There's all, this also should feed into all operational aspects of the bank. So it feeds into the finance department, how they calculate uh, these rental payments for the customers, how they calculate the profit, how the profit is distributed. Has the profit been calculated and distributed to the customer on investment accounts or savings account in accordance with the profit sharing ratio uh, as, uh, as noted in the terms and conditions? Uh, similarly, how the Treasury Department manage the liquidity? Do they put it in the, in the money market, the traditional money market, or, or not? Do they, do it, uh, do they in, uh, manage the liquidity in accordance with the Sharia requirements? Similarly, with the marketing department, do they explain everything in the marketing material? Does, does that reflect uh, the, the Sharia requirements? Everything is being transparent. The sales department, have they sold the product in the right way? And they explain to the customers all risks and, and, and features of the product without overstating the facts. The fourth one is conduct and, uh, and behavior in terms of how uh, the bank and the staff conduct their businesses. And you can see here in this list a summary of other key aspects uh, related to the differences between uh, Islamic banking and conventional banking. And I would conclude by that. So thank you very much for being uh, good listeners. Thank you. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.